Decades of poor research, a broken peer review system, false health and nutrition doctrines, inadequate regulation, and a culture dominated by powerful vested financial interests have combined to make the world's supermarkets into minefields of bad information and products that put our health, our lives, and our planet at risk. It's time to see beyond the two-for-one offers, the health aura products, and the shiny false promises on every shelf. It's time to let the real healing begin. I'm Melody Patterson Meta. I'm Melody and this Patterson Meta. Is reinventing and the this supermarket. Is reinventing the supermarket. Today, I'm thrilled to welcome author and investigative journalist, Joanna Blythman. Joanna is the author of the superb and thought-provoking book, Swallow This, which takes the reader inside the corporate world of food additives and hidden ingredients in order to reveal some fairly distasteful realities about many of the products posing as food on supermarket shelves today. Joanna is a leading voice in the issue of the need for transparency around ingredients, additives and contaminants in the foods we buy in the supermarket. In this discussion, we focus on how government regulators cannot keep up with the thousands of new ingredients in supermarket goods and the dangers we face when we allow food manufacturers to do our thinking for us. We'll be discussing the need for shoppers to understand that there's a significant time lag between the early warnings about dangerous ingredients and suitable regulatory responses. We're also going to talk about a few dangerous and imitation ingredients to whet your appetite for more information on this important subject. And we touch on the fact that many processed foods have quite suspect chemical contaminants that, due to regulatory loopholes, don't even need to be listed on the ingredients list. In fact, you can think you're eating a healthy diet while actually loading your body down with completely untested chemical cocktails. So let's get going. My recent discussion with Joanna Blythman, distasteful, dangerous and hidden ingredients, the dangers of being a passive consumer, and just how much do you really want to trust your health to a largely self-regulated packaged goods industry? in this episode called A Matter of Trust. I'd like to welcome you, Joanna. I'm really looking forward to this discussion with you, which is I'm calling A Matter of Trust. Uh, well, me too, Melody. I'm really, uh, it's great to connect with you. And um, obviously, we've got a, a lot in common. Yes, I think so. Um, when I was thinking about our discussion and how we uh, needed to approach it, the first thing that, of course, crossed my mind, especially after reading Swallow This, which is just such a power-packed book, a terrifying book, who needs to read a horror novel when you can read the reality of what's <laughs> going on in, in supermarkets at this very moment and, and inside the products that we buy. Uh, ingredients are certainly, uh, they're certainly uh, the big issue, I think. But the, uh, there's an over, overriding issue, and that's really trust. I think most people walk into the supermarket and think that they can pick something up off the shelf, and that's going to be safe for them to use. 
And that that's questionable, isn't it? It, it really is. I mean, uh, <clears throat> I, I think there's this feeling of safety in numbers. You have this feeling and it's, it's a lovely, comforting world, isn't it? And, and mm. I think I used to feel that way. I feel that, well, you know, if something was dangerous, um, supermarkets wouldn't sell it to us. Uh, the gov- government wouldn't let them have something on the shelves that was going to do us real harm. And um, I think that I had a hunch uh, when I started doing the research for Swallow This that actually that might not be the case because I knew that, I mean, there's a history of the, the processed food in- industry, food manufacturers, if you like, of, of using ingredients that they told us at the time were fine, yes. um, which yes. turned out to be absolutely not fine. <clears throat> So the classic example of that would be hydrogenated vegetable fat. You remember that we were all told that butter was bad for us, olive oil was bad for us, all those fats were demon fats. And what we should be doing is the vegetable fats. And in order for them to be in the shelves and on our products um, and stable, they had to be hardened. And we just were all eating hydrogenated vegetable fats if we were eating processed foods. And now we find out that actually that fat was lethal. Um, but there's always this huge lag of time between uh, independent advocacy groups um, and, and um, health, health um, campaigners being aware of a problem, raising it, um, and then there being eventual government action, if there is government action. So in the case of hydrogenated vegetable fats, as far as I could see, there was quite an articulate, articulate and very, very well-informed um, critique of why that could be very unhealthy for pe- people, lethal. And um, that was around from the mid-80s at least. And it wasn't really until well into the sort of early noughties, the 2001 and two onwards, that the regulators then started slowly cranking into into uh, business. And then very much, at least in this country, um, in Britain, uh, the government would sort of say to manufacturers very nicely, well, do you think you could stop using this? It wasn't a case of, right, stop using this now. And that's very much the thing where the regulators are really um, on the whole watching their backs most of the time because um, current evidence shows is one of the phrases that comes up in all the regulatory document on the available evidence, current evidence shows. And, and that's a way of saying, well, we, haven't, we can't really actually prove 100% that it's dangerous um, and we would get such a, 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 a trouble from the food industry if we try and block it. So what we're going to do is just sort of let it go ahead and, and, and say, you know, current evidence suggests or... Right. We don't really die quickly enough, do we? If we were dying more quickly from from the food that we're eating, and not just the food, there's a, a lot of ingredients beyond food that are of concern, but just to focus on food for the moment. If we died a little more quickly as a result, then I think the research industry would be on it, the regulators would be on it, but it's that lag. And in fact... That total load issue, total load is probably going to be my uh, phrase of 2016 because 
nobody really talks about that. They don't talk about if you're eating a lot of processed food that the total load that you're getting could be shortening your life by a lot. Yes. I mean, that's absolutely right. I mean, there's there, there's also a, another term is the cocktail effect. Um, we have all these uh, <clears throat> chemicals, ingredients in our food um, routinely and in quantities and in combinations that we never were exposed to pre about 1950. So this is all a great eating experiment. And the great thing um, from the, the food industry's point of view is it's utterly impossible to devise an experiment realistically that would prove what makes people ill or that it, it, it is diet related. It's extremely hard to do that because there's so many variables. So you can, I mean, what we do know, and, and, and I think it almost in a way, rather than waiting for someone to measure it, measure the impossible, I think we just have to use our common sense and say, you know, an awful lot of people seem to be getting ill. You know, who do you know? Who? Uh, how, how many of us don't know someone who has 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 cancer or has type 2 diabetes or who has a whole lot of mysterious food intolerances. Um, This is so common now and and I think we mustn't be slow learners and we must say, okay, there are good um, uh, reasons for thinking that that might be something to do, very lightly to do with parts or components in what we might call a typical modern diet. And by that, I mean high in processed food. And I think um, just to remind anyone who thinks, look, you know, I'm laid back. If I can buy it, it must be safe. I think just think of tobacco, how long it took to establish that tobacco might be a, a risk then to sort of prove it in inverted commas and then to get action. It's just too slow. So I think we need to just be common sense about it and say, you know, on the whole, if you eat food it's closest to its natural state um it's not likely to do you a whole lot of harm because it's highly unlikely that mother nature is a psychopath that she's designed all food to <laughs> so shorten the lifespan of the human race that's yeah. not really likely but it isn't likely that big corporations driven by profit um who uh, would 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 take risks with your health the answer is yeah, it is actually. So I think on the basis of that, we have to we have to realise that we have to be our own precautionary principle. That there are there are, there isn't some august body of silvery-haired scientists there, sort of benevolently looking after our best interests. There really isn't. So it's down to you and your life to make some decisions, and it shouldn't be that way. But I think that's the way it is. Well, I think what's really interesting is that you know the old. Uh, it's becoming old. It, it five years ago, it wasn't an old saying to shop the edges of the supermarket. It's. Uh, I think it's a good step. You know. It, if most people look at the layout of the supermarket, there's more fresh foods around the edges than there are uh, in the centre. The centre tends to be the more highly processed food that doesn't need refrigeration. However, that's not entirely true. I'm looking at the bakery section in particular. Just because it's on the edge of the supermarket or yogurts are another of my favourite uh, areas, w- products that are, are filled with alarming ingredients. Uh, just because they're on the edge of the supermarket doesn't mean they're necessarily fr- really fresh foods or actually 
really good foods filled with good ingredients. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. I mean, I um, I think there's a, a really important thing to understand about uh, processed food and supermarket shopping, um, which is that um, there is a limit to the amount of profit supermarkets can make from selling you whole, whole food. So, you know, selling you a banana, even if it's a kind of boutique organic banana that's been plucked from the from the plant by Vestal Virgins. There's a limit to how much you can charge people for that. But if you make that into some sort of banana yogurt or a banana cake, that's adding value. And right away, the, 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 that's just a license to print money. So supermarkets have a very big investment in selling us processed food. And when they get us in there, because processed food is actually surprisingly homogenous because you're dealing with factories which at one level are, are, are high-tech and sophisticated. Another level can't possibly replicate the nuances and the diversity of, of homemade, home-cooked food. So there's a sort of sameness about processed food. So, you know, you'll find that the the, the gravy on your um, um, casserole beef tastes pretty much like... Um, sauce so there's a there's a tremendous amount of of homogeneity so yes. it's, we tend to get quite bored i think supermarket shoppers by you know we buying the same thing so they're constantly trying to reinvent these products and that's where they make the money they make it not in um you know the freshish food the more the more whole and un processed is the less the profit so what they really want I think is that when you go into a supermarket and there's something about that whole system that sort of changes us from being sort of active citizens who are making uh, kind of positive decisions about what we want to eat it changes us into kind of passive consumers who are walking the aisles and are being manipulated by a series of cues and messages and incentives and disincentives. And that's actually, you know, they're doing the thinking for us. And I find that one of the things I've always found about supermarket shopping, and I do very little of it nowadays, I always try and shop elsewhere, is that it just, um, I, my sort of uh, creativity about cooking, my ideas about what I'm really going to cook that night just sort of disappear. I end up buying a lot of food, paying more than I'd expected to pay for it. And I'm still thinking, right, what are we going to eat tonight? Or what will we have for lunch tomorrow? And again, that's what are all about. They want us to keep on buying, rebuying. When we haven't used something, we throw it out, we replace it with a similar something. That's the supermarket system. And it's really easy just to go along with that um, when you shop. It is. And I have to say, Joanna, that as someone who has spent a lot of time in their lives as a, as a brand strategist, helping products and brands to stay on supermarket shelves, if people had any idea of the amount of effort and strategy that is going in to every inch of the supermarket shelf, they would be shocked, utterly shocked. Every single inch of that shelf, every skew, and there's uh, a skew being a, a for those who aren't in in working in the field is is a, a particular product line. 
an average supermarket can have tens of thousands of SKUs. A supermarket can have 50,000 SKUs in it. So the confusion potential once you walk in the door is enormous. And at the category level, every single inch, every single thing in that category is reviewed periodically, Some depending on the supermarket brand. It's, it could be quarterly, it could be six monthly. And it is a, it's a vicious process that pushes back into whoever's creating the brands, trying to push their production costs down, trying to force them into creating new, as you said, new exciting things to entice shoppers. So in fact, the entire system as it stands is incredibly unhealthy because all it's about is financial gain. There's actually, no matter what your local supermarket, whether no, ma- no matter where you live, what your local supermarket tells you about how they care about your well-being and your health and your purse, it, they really don't. What they're interested in is how much money they're making out of every inch of shelf space and they will do whatever it takes to increase every three months or every six months uh, that uh, yield from that amount of space on the shelf. And over time, all that has really uh, succeeded in doing, certainly over the last few decades, is push the quality of the products down. So when you do have processed foods, there are some processed foods I'm fine with as long as they use natural processing, those are pretty thin on the ground. When I go into a supermarket, I find it's pretty hard to find something I'm prepared to eat in that supermarket. Um, that's pushed the quality down so low, the push for ever more profits out of the same products, out of the same space, just means new tactics are constantly being used to push that, uh, to push the cost of production lower. And that means poorer ingredients, it means more synthetic ingredients, and it means a lot of uh, tactics are also being used on the labels, which labels are a legal document. However, the amount of effort that goes into a label to give people an impression of what it isn't in most cases is a phenomenal effort. Huge teams work on massaging every word into place so that it's illegal it's legally uh, okay to say what they're saying but it gives you a very false impression in many cases yes i mean that's absolutely right i think one of the most obvious examples of that is the tick lists that go down the front you know, it's no artificial flavorings, no artificial colorings and uh, low fat. And there'll be a whole lot of ticks. And really what, what, what the, the, the marketeers want is a lot of green lights, a lot of reassuring ticks. And I don't really want you to turn over and look at the small print in the, on the ingredients list. And it's interesting. It's crazy. You know, it's really hard to read apart from anything else. You would need, a, you know, you know um, spectacles are very, you know, 20, 20 vision to really read the ingredients list. But most people won't get that far. <laughs> once I, once you turn 45, you absolutely need spectacles for that. The one I really love is um, no artificial colorings. Yeah. And what that really means is natural colorings. Um, and from my research, as far as I can see, there is 
really very little difference between natural colorings and artificial ones. I mean, at the end of the day, they do the same job. They're, they're both a form of food fraud, i.e. they're trying to con encourage you to think that a food has a wholesome color, that it really doesn't. Because, you know, most processed food without colorings would be gray. Um, and, and so it's these, these additives and these uh, ingredients are all part of massaging us into feeling, oh, you know, lot, seeing a lot of the world, nat the word natural, farmhouse, healthy, all these sort of buzzwords that just make us think, yeah, this is good. Um, and as you say, it's deliberate, but it, it, needs, it needs to be, um, I think we need to really, although it may sound like, um, oh my goodness, you're making work for yourself. You do really need to go into the supermarket, I feel, thinking people are trying to con me into buying something that isn't very good for me and that, that is highly profitable for them. And I, if I am going to shop in the supermarket, then I have to have very clear sort of my own guidelines about what I will or won't buy. And just, I mean, what it always amuses me is um, on the rare occasion I go to the supermarket and I identify the things I want to buy. That very often, 50% of the time, I find they're delisted next time I go in. Yes. <laughs> they, 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 and, and I say, well, what happened to them? And they said, well, no one, they, they maybe head office found that not enough people were buying them. And that's it. That's if exactly you, right. And the best ones are the ones that get delisted routinely. Yes. So in other words, if you if you get something good in the supermarket, its days are probably numbered because it won't be making enough money. And, it, you know, it will be, I think we have to also realise the pressure that food manufacturers are put under because of this whole supermarket system. Because what, what, what matters to the supermarkets is that they buy the food, the, the products cheaply and sell them for quite a lot. Well, what that means for manufacturers is how can they make their money? They have to make their money by cutting down in ingredients costs. That's exactly right. And they're also, because the supermarkets demand a long shelf life, they have to make those ingredients, the, the products have a ridiculously long shelf life. So therefore, they have to cut down in freshness as well. So right away, the minute you're buying into that supermarket system, you're likely to get poorer ingredients, uh, less freshness, more industrialized system uh, for production, and where the labor element has been pared down to a bare minimum, and then a high profit put on it by the retailer. And somehow what, what's happening there is the people who make the the raw materials, i.e. the farmers, the growers, they're not seeing the money. No, they're um, not. Consumers are paying a lot for food, which is actually pretty compromised. Um, and the whole system's just dysfunctional unless you are the, the invest, you know, investing or a shareholder in, in a big um, retail company or a big food manufacturer, then it's probably serving you very well. But if we, we say that society should have a, a broader perspective on what's good for the community, what's good for all of us. And that has to mean that it's basically healthy food, that it's produced in an equitable way, that's produced in a safe way where no one's encouraged to cut corners, where it is genuinely fresh. And then, unfortunately, the current food system, the processed food system we have just is not capable of delivering on uh, those really important indicators. 
I agree. I, I just want to circle back to the issue of the profits that supermarkets make. It depends on where you live, which country you're in, which supermarket chain you're shopping at. But the supermarket is likely making somewhere between 30% and 50% of the retail price. So when you purchase, 50% is very common. So when you purchase a, a product in the supermarket, just think to yourself that a third to a half of this price is going directly to the supermarket. Everything else that is ha, has to be paid for that entire product, all of the shipping, all of the uh, primary production of ingredients has to be paid for out of that remaining fifty percent. And when you see a two for one deal, almost always that the uh, the supermarket still makes their full fifty uh, percent on the original retail price. So you're literally being given a product for free by the manufacturer of that product. The supermarkets themselves are extraordinarily powerful when it comes to uh, the pricing. If, if ingredients go up in price, if, if ingredient prices are going to cause a product to go up uh, by 10 cents, that means it's going to go up by 20 cents in the supermarket. So uh, it's, it's quite an unfair system. It is the, the nature of the beast at the moment. Uh, I think if more people were aware of it, they would be a little more dubious about shopping in some of the major supermarkets. I think that I'd love to touch on a couple of the ingredients uh, that you have found in your interesting travels to be amongst the most shocking ingredients because there are, reading your book, some of the ingredients that uh, you've encountered are appalling, <laughs> to say the least. Yes, it's true. I mean, I've been, I don't know, I mean, which, which it's interesting because people have different reactions to my book and it's interesting that people um, find different things um, more more worrying. What, what, what were the ones you picked up most, Melisie? Uh, I have to tell you that the one that has shocked people the most when I've talked about it is the use of wood and wood products uh, in uh, supermarket food products. Actually, just last week, uh, I encountered an article showing that some of the major, I think it was in the US, brands of Parmesan cheese were up to 8% wood pulp, yet they were actually labeled as 100% Parmesan. So, uh, yes, uh, so actually falsehoods in labeling are very common. It's not in the, in the US nor in Australia or the UK. Uh, the labels actually really policed very well, even though they can get in trouble, they can be taken off the shelf if somebody realizes they're telling a falsehood on a label. Those things are still being put out there complete falsehoods but when I've mentioned to people the use of things like little wood chips to in strawberry yogurt for instance to uh, to imitate the uh, seeds of strawberries this is these kinds of things really shock people and they have trouble believing it's true yes I mean there, there obviously there there's downright fraud isn't there where someone's just using something illegally that they shouldn't be using but then there's kind of institutionalized fraud and the more you think about it <clears throat> uh the more you I, I think that 
processed food is, is, is in itself a form of fraud because you're really trying to convince people um, that, that, that food has qualities that it doesn't really have, which seems to me kind of fundamentally dishonest. You know, so, for example, if you, if you most processed food, by the time it's been through the sort of, the, the, the sort of trauma, the heat, the, the, the physical pressure of, of processing, is kind of grey and it's lost a lot of its flavor, beige, gray, flavorless. Um, right away, you know, if we, we were given it like that, we wouldn't buy it. So that's where the art of the food technologist comes in. So that's, right, let's get some colorings in there to restore a nice, you know, uh, color that people will think. I mean, margarine is the, the case in point. If margarine didn't have yellow coloring, it would be gray. It would be a disgusting grape. Um, and then the flavorings too, you know, I mean, the, uh, one of the things that I found in my researches was that it's common um, for flavor housings to, to, to sell what they call as masking flavors. Uh, yes. Because you have, first of all, not only has the food processing taken out the natural flavor, but it has introduced a load of flavors that are actively unpleasant. So for example, soya, it's very bitter. Um, you have to use flavorings that, that come in the category of soy suppressors to get rid of that bitterness, that, that residual flavor. So a lot of the time they're masking flavors that were introduced with processing and adding new ones to really um, distract from the fact that the food hasn't really got any real flavor. And, and, and I, mean, I think that is quite dishonest, but it's going on all the time. And that's what food technology and food engineering is all about. Um, a, a very particular set of skills, which I, I, I at one level admire, is very clever, but another level is, is, is kind of ethically wrong, really. It's not about food. It's about technology and it's about creating some kind of a, an imposter that is, is posing as food on the shelves of the supermarket. But in many cases, it, it has no food-like substance in it. That's absolutely right. I mean, as you talk, you give the example of the, 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 the bits in the, in the strawberries, but one of the things that I, um, I came across was something called um, orange cells. So those are just kind of like, they come inside food colorings and they kind of float and they create the impression of real pulp of fruit where there isn't any real pulp of fruit. And a, a manufacturer will use that to give this sort of slightly cloudy, um, hand-pressed sort of look. And some of them some of them are just cells, and others are known as cloudifiers. So if you, for example, had a, an apple juice and you want to sell it with, um, with a nice sort of artisan farmhouse straight from the orchard sort of feel, you can get by in a cloudifier and just add it. And then... Poor people like us will probably think, well, that looks like a superior apple juice and I'll pay a bit more for that. It looks more yes. real. So the level that realness is being manipulated is, is actually quite incredible. Yes, the art, of, the art of creating the false version has become really advanced. Oh, so oh, yeah. I think especially over the last 10 or 15 years, uh, if I go back 10 years, things like 
apple juices, they invariably came across very much as being a processed, very pasteurized, not very nice interpretation of apple. Yet you're right, now we see uh, apple juices and other juices that are actually, they're much closer in um, taste, in flavor and in uh, texture and look to the original thing, but it doesn't mean that they are in reality any closer. No, that's absolutely right. And actually there's this whole new um, trend, uh, which is I think almost more disturbing than any ingredient or additive is the use of enzymes behind the scenes in food manufacturing. Um, and enzymes basically have uh, can be used to do anything. And because they're... Um, generally regarded as, as what's known as processing aids, i.e. they're not ingredients. They don't appear on the label at all. But it's a whole kind of magic that's going on behind the scenes with enzymes. You can make uh, uh, bread seem moister. You can create a more golden crust. You can make frozen fruit stay stiffer. You can um, use, use enzyme-treated colouring, blood as a colouring, you can't, I mean, there's, there's no end to what can be done with enzymes. They're very, very clever. But this is really altering our food in a very fundamental way. And when you dig into, at least with and our health, yeah, well, one of the big issues about enzymes is that, you know, they're not on the label, so you can't avoid them. And the theory is that um, they don't um, come over in food. They're just part of the production process, but they're not in the end results. But in fact, there there is research that where 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 scientists tested this was in the crust of bread and found that the allergenicity of the enzyme was still present in the crust of bread, and that's the issue with enzymes. They they they're really extreme allergens, and it's a known occupational hazard of people who work with enzymes that they trigger reactions. And obviously, some people will have experienced reactions to biological washing powders, for example. That's a reaction to enzymes. But this is these are being used behind the scenes to create food with a whole lot of characteristics that they other otherwise wouldn't have. And and we uh, I think we have to then say to ourselves, well, you know, is it any surprise that a whole lot of people suddenly seem to have um, gluten allergies or food intolerances? I mean, we, might this not? We can't prove it, but we have to say, look, for goodness sake, there are strong reasons for thinking that. But there's no that the regulation of enzymes is lax in the extreme. And what I've found is in that field and in general in food processing, that technologies get more and more sophisticated that are used to change and alter our food. That the, the learning curve is extremely high. Civil society doesn't really keep up with it. They don't really understand what's going on. The, the legislators, the regulators who ought to, are basically deciding whether something's safe or not safe on the basis of dossiers that are presented to them by the companies who have who are using these technologies, and they have used handpicked scientists. Absolutely. Give them the results they want. So, so the whole edifice of regulation is just a, a house of cards. It's a sham. And how do you protect yourself from something that's not even listed on the label? You don't, 
apart from finding books such as yours and and others uh, that go into some of the details or not choosing foods that are processed in the first place at the moment there's really no way to protect yourself i'm particularly thinking of uh, cooking oils which are a dreadful dreadful category of food in general not not all cooking oils are bad but most of them are are things that I would never use. Uh, a lot of them, the oil is removed by solvents, and those solvents are uh, deadly. They are, yeah. they hexane. are, yes, hexane. And you have no way of protecting yourself from that other than not choosing a cooking oil because it's not listed on the ingredients. No, no, that's absolutely right. I mean, I think. Um, what you can do and what I try to do is I say on the whole, I just don't buy much processed food. So having, I know that makes me sound like a kind of, my body is a temple hippie living in a desert island. You know, I buy cheese. I don't have a cow, you know, I'm not making my own cheese. Um, I'll buy good bread if it's good sourdough bread. But on the whole, I wouldn't buy what we might call ready meals. I don't buy convenience food. And I think one of the things to realize that as long as you are buying whole ingredients in their natural form, then you, you, can, you can say, I'm not saying there's no issues to do with them that, that you need to be concerned about. But life gets a whole lot simpler. You don't, you know, you have much more control over what you're buying. But if you, what you're eating, um, because you choose it in its whole form and you yourself cook it, you know how you're cooking it. But when you start buying off the peg food and taking the attitude, you know, gee, I don't really need to cook because there's all this fabulous stuff in the supermarket, then you really are just at the mercy of an industry which doesn't really have your health uh, at heart. It has a whole other set of priorities. So I think, um, I mean, that's one of the key things is just to say, you know, we, we all of us sometimes have to eat things that we don't particularly want to. We wouldn't choose just because of the circumstances we're in. But if you can say most of the time I buy real food and I kind of cook it at home, then then you're really making progress. And then you can look at a, a specific category. And you gave a very good example of oils. And you can say, okay, well, I'm not going to use this white, neutral, bland, tasteless, anonymous cooking oil because I have a good idea that it was produced in a very unhealthy way. It's not going to do me any good. So what could I use instead? So then we can have a discussion. I mean, on oils, for example, in my house, I use extra virgin olive oil. I, I use that for frying quite a lot. I never let the fat get too hot so that it smokes and burns. I use butter. I use coconut oil. Um, I would use dripping good old lard, those traditional animal fats that are very stable. And I actually don't ever use that, you know, standard cooking oil because having researched it, I can just see that that really doesn't have a place in my kitchen. But fortunately, not everything is like that. Not everything's a minefield. That would be one of the trickiest ones. But if you just say, look, I'm buying real food in its natural wrapping, as 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 it you know grew or 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 was reared, and I cook it myself. Then right away, about eighty percent of or more of all the potential problems to do with food just disappear. And that's what's really empowering, just to realise that step off this treadmill where you where every shopping trip is. A, is this going to kill me? Should I be reading this? Is this product better than that product? 
just just step off that treadmill. I, I couldn't agree more. I think a, a good rule of thumb is the more processed it is, then the more you probably need to be concerned about purchasing that and consuming it. So uh, understand uh, with fats, certainly I always visualize if you can if you can visualize squeezing the fat out of the original food, then uh, like an olive, you can visualize juicy olives and that the fat would come out. It's much harder to visualize that with canola seeds, which are like little mustard seeds. You know that there's some heavy duty processing is going to have to go on there. So choosing those foods as close to their natural state is certainly the best step. When Certainly, also, I think if you step outside that, when people step outside the food in their natural state, they're relying on a, a system which is largely an honor system. In, it's shocking to me that the regulation of, of food and processed foods is basically an honor system, but that's what it is. The reg, as you said, Joanna, the regulators cannot keep up with the tens of thousands of new additives and chemicals that have been introduced over the decades. They have old research in a lot of cases. Some of the research goes back to the early 60s on various ingredients and really isn't strong enough research to tell us that that's a safe additive in a food. Choosing things that you are pretty certain don't have additives in the first place, as you say, that you can prepare at home has got that takes the stress out of it. It's got to feel a lot better. I'm consuming something safe. I'm giving my family something safe. And I'm just staying away as much as possible, from, especially from things that are dried and in packets and promise all of the benefits of real home prepared food because that's never the case. I think that's absolutely right. And, and there's something we haven't discussed yet because it's very easy to become someone who, you know, food is a, a, a subject for fear and stress and am I doing the right thing? And it, it, you lose sight of the pleasure. And one of the reasons that I'm actually in my line of work, believe it or not, is not because I'm a sort of, you know, person who's worried, who's permanently worried or uh, driven by fear. It's actually because I love good food. And one of the things you realize is that when you buy processed food, it just doesn't taste like the homemade equivalent and it doesn't taste anything like as good. And I think that what happens is when you don't eat a lot, a lot of processed food and when you do occasionally, it just tastes so wrong. It's just you pick up larger than life flavors. And, you know, for example, the other day I, I, I was out and about and I was in a situation where I had to choose the least bad option. And I, 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 I can't remember what it was I had. I think it might have been a soup. And almost the minute I, I ate the soup, I just knew there was there was a feeling on the roof of my mouth. It was slightly prickling. Uh, the whole, it just was wrong. It didn't feel right. And I think that was my body saying, "Hey, what are you asking me to eat? I don't normally have this." And it, and it was the chemicals in the food. It was probably some kind of um, flavoring, some sort of very extreme meaty kind of umami type uh, ingredient that'd been added to to give it just taste wrong and it's not good so I mean I think one of the great benefits if you can sort of say look I'm going to get off this processed food tread 
food treadmill is that you then start thinking, gosh, you know, this food's wonderful. It's such a great thing. I mean, a simple baked potato is a really delicious thing that anyone can make at home. You can buy here ready baked potatoes for microwaving that just taste nothing like that. I mean, how hard is it to micro to make your own baked potato? So even at a very simple level, the things that you will make at home will just taste so much better. And when you hit that pleasure zone, there's no way you're going to give that up for some miserable thing that looks like an airline meal and, you know, is kind of eaten in a flash and just doesn't, you know, taste pretty homogenous and samey like a million other products on the shelves. That, that's not great food and it doesn't nurture us emotionally, physically. It doesn't, you know, it just is, is, is a rather depressing sort of food. And I think one of the reasons people probably overeat if you eat that kind of food is just because you're just not really satisfied and you're by also have become a little bit addicted to the larger than life flavors in the foods. And, and I don't just mean flavoring by that. I mean, a awful lot of sugar, even in supposedly savor, savory goods uh, or you know, as sweeteners, not necessarily sugar, but even artificial sweeteners or other sweet ingredients, high, high levels of salt. I'm nothing against salt. I think salt has a good, an important place in cooking. But the levels of salt in processed food, again, are all to trick the taste buds and um, are very unsubtle. And when you sort of don't have that kind of food, you realize how, how wrong it is in, t- in taste terms. Um, it's to me. It's almost like being at the front row of an opera and seeing that 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 the makeup is caked on the face of the opera singers. They 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 don't look real, and I think that's what processed food is like a lot of the time. So so the benefits of just saying I that's not really the kind of food I eat most of the time, is um, I think are immense, and I do think that most of the time. A phrase is quite important because I think a lot of people um, just feel, gosh, you know, I, I, I can't, I'm not a hermit. I've, I can't cut myself off from a daily life. I've got to be, you know, I've got to seem like understand what other people around me are eating. And that's right. But it's just a question of having a set of values or goals that you are saying on the whole, when I can, I eat real food. And I think if you do that, you know, you're just improving the, your pleasure in life. You're, you're improving in your health absolutely for certain and um, it's just going to make a whole lot more sense to you. I love that. I love it. I totally agree that we should be living wonderful, luscious lives. We should be enjoying the foods that we eat. We shouldn't be living in terror of them and step by step, no matter what a person's diet looks like today, just by taking baby steps and working on maybe one food stuff every few weeks, identifying how they're going to make a better choice for themselves. Gradually, you can reinvent your entire way of life and reconnect with those beautiful real foods that are out there. Hopefully, in um, as I go through this process of reinventing the supermarket and talking to more people about Uh, what we need to do to change what really is in reality a bunch of um, very dangerous processed foods sitting on the shelves. Even for those people, you know, I live in 80, what I call by the 80-20 rule. So 
80% of the time I'm trying to do the right thing. 20% of the time I just can't and I'm not going to stress myself to death because I can't be perfect 100% of the time. But when I when I can't be perfect, I would like to know or be able to take the the conscious choice or the informed choice that I'm buying something that's less likely to hurt me or less likely to cause my body harm or reactions over time. And I do think we can improve a lot on those processed foods that are sitting on the supermarket shelf and hopefully create more of a movement where people are choosing real foods most of the time and that yeah. those backup foods, those foods that people you know keep in their fridge just because there are those 20% of occasions that they can't manage to cook something real or cook something from scratch, that that food itself will also be a safe option for them, even if it's nutritionally speaking, not something anyone would recommend for everyday consumption. Yeah. Jo Joanna, I want to thank you so much for being here. I uh, love your work. I wholeheartedly recommend Anybody who listens to this, please go uh, to Joanna's website. It is joannablythmanwriting.com. I'll spell it again. J-O-A-N-N-A-B-L-Y-T-H-M-A-N-Writing.com. I highly recommend all of Joanna's books, my favorite ones being Swallow This and Shopped. And uh, there'll be links to both of those books on this page. Joanna, thank you once again. This has been such a pleasure. Oh, it's been wonderful. I really enjoyed our conversation. And um, lovely to reach out to people there who are, who are of, a, of a like mind. It's, it's terrific. Thank you very much, Melody. Thank you, Joanna. I'm Melody Patterson Meta. I'm Melody Patterson Meta. And this is reinventing the supermarket. is reinventing the supermarket.